This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris well, happy Thanksgiving. It's over. I know you've cleaned up. The turkey is settled. Uh, the, the leftovers are probably gone, but the effects are still there, aren't they? If I looked at your round little belly right now, what would I see? Overeating. I know what you've been doing. So I was doing the same thing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This is what you do on the holidays. You eat and be merry. Had a big week last week. I was trying to keep it get together. I was hoping maybe to do a Thanksgiving podcast. I had every intention of being here on Friday, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen because I had a lot of things going on, exciting things. And I looked at the news stories and I just wasn't feeling it. But then I came across a document in my secret catch that I'm going to get into today. I don't know if you know this or not. You've probably heard me speak about it, but I actually write a lot as well as speak a lot. They kind of go hand in hand, really, I've learned. I've written a few books. If you don't know, you can learn about the books I've written on ChristopherScottShow.com. Matter of fact, if, if you have any young uh, people, let alone young males in your house, teenage age, I highly recommend my book, Be the Lion. It talks about the, the effort and work needed to create discipline, to do great things. It's a simple formula. Not easy, but it's simple. You can check it out and be the line. It's a great gift book. If you wanted to give away copies of my book, Common Sense in Modern English, you could help spread common sense around the world by giving away copies of that book. Buy a couple. Give them out to your friends. Great stucking, stuffing, stucking stopper. Stuffing. I completely lost it now. What is it? Stocking stuffer. We're stuffing something. I don't know. We were stuffing a bird. Now we're stuffing stockings. Stockings. How do you expect me to keep track of all this stuff? I was on Stan's radio show on Friday. This is an interesting story. Stan calls me on Monday in a panic. Can you fill in for the radio show? Yeah, Stan. You know, thanks for the heads up. I appreciate all the advance notice. Luckily, I was free. Lucky for me, really, I guess, because I consider it an honor and a privilege to go down there. And here's the deal real quick. My buddy Stan Casaccio has a a radio show, two hours, Wednesdays, 1 to 3, on WWDB Philadelphia, 860 (laughs) AM. You can tell I've said that a few times. I fill in for him once in a while. And here's the the big shtick with that, if you will. WWDB is the station that I grew up listening to as a kid. It was on the FM dial then. It was those voices, those orators that that, that emboldened me to want to be able to speak up. They embodied wisdom to me. They spoke with authority, and I wanted to do that. And here I, listening, literally as a 10-year-old kid listening to WWDB, do you know what an honor it is for me to be on the show now? Here at 51 years old, almost half a century later, I could have never envisioned. Actually, I did envision it. You're damn right I envisioned it. Sitting there as a 10-year-old kid, I knew one day I would be behind that microphone. Isn't that weird? Now that I think about it, I was going to say I never would have thunk. But I did think. I dreamt about it every time I listened to it. 
So here we go. My buddy's got a show. Now, and I was joking beforehand because there's a couple other people, uh, you know, co-hosting this, this two hours. And, and uh, uh, um, I said, you know, it, to one of the guys down there with Andy Teitelman, he's an attorney who was on the show. We had a great time. I said, I said to Andy, I said, I could never give up this microphone. I would never give it because I really want to guest host the podcast. Get out of here. It's my podcast. I'm, not, I, I'm sure someday maybe something like that will happen, but I would just have a hard time. Stan gives him, and I can tell he has a little struggles with it a little bit. There's some things we don't completely agree on. Maybe I'll get to some of that. Well, anyway, big opportunity for me in, in every way imaginable. And don't you know the day before I didn't feel like doing it? I kid you not. My buddy said to me, he says, what's the matter? I said, I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like doing it. You know, I said I would do it, and I knew I was going to do it. I just didn't feel like doing it. And I didn't really prepare very well. I threw some notes together, and there was a couple different reasons for that. Stan is a little bit, I don't want to say fly by the seat of your pants so much, but everything's kind of last. I mean, he's got a lot of things going on like like uh, like I do. He's even, even busier. But it gets a little helter-skelter, and I just wasn't in the mood for it. I just wasn't feeling I'm not trying to, uh, to uh, blame Stan or anybody else. It was me. I just wasn't feeling it. So I get down there, and uh, great ride down. Had the windows open. You know, it was a good, good experience getting down there. Get down there nice and early. Get into the studio. The show before us had canceled. They did a, a pre-taped deal. So we were able to get into the studio early. That's nice. The transition between shows, getting in and out of the studio with the radio can be a little crazy. Get in there and get behind the microphone and start getting into a little groove. And don't you know, we end up having the most dynamic, incredible radio show. I haven't gone back and listened to it, but I know that I really enjoyed doing it. There was a dynamic, but here was the big thing that I got out of it for me. The big thing that affected me. I felt like I got my sense of humor back a little bit. I, you know, I went into it, I didn't care so much. You know, I just, I didn't really feel like, like usually I'm going to the show and I want to make a, you know, star appearance and, you know, Chris is in the house. And this time I was like, I just don't care. And it kind of worked out to my benefit because I ended up being a little more relaxed. Can you imagine? This is kind of funny to me. Go in there, I'm a little bit more relaxed and I felt like I just lightened up a little bit. And I was just more open-minded to, you know, when you, when you get taking things too seriously, you just, you're taking it too seriously. And sometimes, all right, all right, you know, people don't get the point the same way as if you just bring a little levity to it. And, hey, have you looked at it this way? Anyway, it turned out to be a, a magnificent experience, reignited my passion, which is very nice. We had a fantastic, bombastic Thanksgiving. Last-minute invite over to some friends. We were just planning on having a quiet dinner at home. Uh, everybody wants to, to run around and go visit and go see everybody on the holidays, which, you know, is very nice. I don't disagree. Uh, but I think you have to ask yourself as well, what's wrong with having a nice, quiet holiday at home? And that's what we're going to be doing on Christmas. I'll get to that in a second. Long story short, some good friends close by invited us over at the last minute, two days before. Yeah, let's go. We had... Turkey breasts here that my wife was prepared to make. And the wives combined forces. Well, let me tell you, uh, let me just tell you this part. Um, our, our hosts, who are fans of the podcast, by the way, so you know they're good people. They took this uh, turkey breasts and they butterflied them, right? 
and then they they stuffed them in between with stuffing and then tied it back together and cooked it like that. Well, I don't know where they got this this recipe, but let me tell you something. That's the way to eat turkey. Let me ba boom ba bang. Then we got into a whole discussion. You ever get into this argument? Which is better, dark meat or light meat? Listen, if I got to have this discussion, we got a problem. Both. What are you going to tell me? Do I like light meat or dark meat? That's like asking me if I like, uh, you know, uh, ribeye or sirloin. Both. You like ribeye or tenderloin? Come on. Don't put that kind of choice in front of me, light meat or dark meat. You put you just in the way you have it, right? Light meat, I tend to want to have gravy on it, a little salt and pepper. The dark meat, I like to wrap it up in the fatty skin. I don't know, though. I need to get into all this. It was a great Thanksgiving. They had uh, the turkey. And then, um, well, my wife made this uh, rigatoni noodle mac and cheese that Oh, 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 that was incredible. And then uh, our guests made these uh, candied yams that it was it was like a it was like a dessert. It really was. It was just we were so overstuffed. I think I had a piece of chocolate cake and a piece of apple pie. I skipped lunch like we had we had went out and got breakfast. We got some breakfast sandwiches. We had a big breakfast around 10. We were going over there at. Three, so I'm thinking they're going to be eating three thirty four. We need to look closer to six, so that kind of threw things off a little bit. Well, I was starving. I mean, I, I literally walked away with the first plate. I was like, "There's like four pounds of food on this plate," and then I went back for seconds. Uh, so you can imagine how overstuffed I was. But I didn't fall asleep. Came home, fed the dogs, gave the. I mixed the uh, uh, gravy in with the, the dog food. Boy, did they enjoy that. So here's my big. My big surprise. That was Thanksgiving. We had a nice time. I hope you did as well. It wasn't uh, what I would call, you know, super touchy family. Oh, you know, we saw Aunt Jane we haven't seen in 150 years. Nothing like that. It was pretty simple. Little, little fire outside. Had a nice time. It was very good. Uh, Christmas is around the corner. And boy, did I get a surprise. Let me just tell you the story real quick in case you want to know. A little bit about me personally and the way I think. So my wife comes to me about two weeks ago. She says, well, her family's up in New York City, up in Manhattan. She says, "Uh, my mom's not feeling well. She doesn't want to come down for Christmas. Thinking, well, Christmas is six weeks away. Maybe she'll be feeling better. But this is none of my business. She says, "Uh, what would you think about opening gifts here Christmas morning and then running up to New York City, which is a two-hour ride for us without traffic? Eh, a little less. She says, well, run up for a quick visit and then come home. For one, And my wife is great at this. She asks me at like 9 o'clock at night. It's a half hour past my bedtime. I'm falling asleep. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, Christmas, whatever you want to do. It seems like it's 10 years away at that point. I don't know why I do it. It's just one of those things I do. She asks me at these moments of weakness, and I say yes, and then I regret it. So as I started thinking, I thought, no, I, I can't do that. I don't want to be running around on Christmas. And I don't want my daughter on the road all Christmas Day. And I don't want to be, we're going to be, you know, it's two hours up, two hours back. Even if we only stay for two hours, that means the dogs are home alone for six hours on Christmas. And there's a couple of problems with that, really. And that's if everything goes well. And then we got the stress of getting back. And, you know, the dogs are good for about eight hours. Super Duker, the big dog. 
I've pushed him nine, maybe ten in, in extreme situations, but you could tell uh, that when when I get to that level, he's got to go out. He has a hard time waiting that long. And I don't like doing that to the dog. So I was really poo-pooing the whole thing. Well, in the meantime, so this is a real problem, as you can imagine. I just told my wife, yeah, we'll go spend Christmas holiday with your family, and then I'm changing my mind. You can imagine this dilemma. So I'm gearing up for how to, to approach this subject with her. In the meantime, my son says that he's coming home for Christmas. Not on Christmas. He's going to come home the week before. So I don't know what he's up to. You know, he's still... Uh, very much connected with his mother. We're no longer together. I think he may, he's coming before Christmas. I think he may be leaving here and uh, and going to see his mother after that or something like that. But I don't really care. The point is he's going to be here for the holiday. It's good enough for me. And as much as I was kind of getting bummed out about the whole scenario, if you can imagine, right? Here's my wife. She wants to go visit her family. Here's my son wants to come in before the holiday you know, whatever his priorities are. And I'm thinking, does anybody really care what I want to do? And the short answer to that is no. Nobody gives a hoot. Christmas is supposed to be about the kids, but I don't even really see that being the main emphasis, right? Anyway, what do I do in these situations? I always just try to do, make the best of the situation, you know? And I guess my whole life, that's what it's always been about. Tough times making the best of the situation. But thank you, Lord, that I've developed that ability. I think I thank my mother mostly for that. But you can look at the negative. You can be a sourpuss. You can say, hey, look at what I'm So I put this whole thing together. I actually talked to my wife last night. I said, first of all, I said, I'm not comfortable leaving the dogs unattended. We're not going to be able to get somebody. Uh, we do Our housekeeper will occasionally uh, come over if we need somebody to let the dogs out. But she's not going to want to do that on Christmas, and I don't want to put that on her. We could put the dogs in the kennel, but to do that, you got to do that like two days before the holiday and then through the holiday. I'm like, I don't really know if I like them in the kennel on Christmas. They're going to be short-staffed, ba 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 Just not real comfortable with it. Happened to be mentioning this to my friend over Thanksgiving before I spoke to my wife, and he says, listen, we're not going anywhere for Christmas. And I've gone over there and watched their animals uh, for them. They live about 10 minutes away. He says, we're not doing anything for Christmas. I can run over and let your dogs out. I said, wow, well, that that solves one problem. The second problem was I didn't want my daughter on the road all day for Christmas. She's seven years old. She'll be eight soon. You know, this is a you know where she's really enjoying those, those morning uh, uh, Christmases, opening gifts and playing with them. So I look at the calendar, and I say, here's the solution. Christmas, I think, is on Sunday. My son's coming in Monday through Thursday. We're going to celebrate Christmas here at home with the kids on Wednesday. So we'll wake up. We'll open gifts like it's Christmas morning. My daughter actually get a little head start. She doesn't know it yet, but then the next day they're going to the pet store because she wants a gecko. This is not your average gecko. This is a tiger gecko. You ought to see this thing. So that's her big Christmas gift. And uh, it's all going to work out great. We'll celebrate a little early. And then we can all, my friend will come over and watch the dogs on Christmas. We can all go up to my mother-in-law's on Christmas and enjoy a second Christmas. And uh, it's a win-win. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good time. So as I'm digesting all this, 15 minutes to tell you this ridiculous story, thanks for staying with me. I'm looking at, I got to do some podcasts here. What do I want to talk about? And the news just kind of went gray out, so to speak. I'm going to get into a couple of the headlines here real quick to tee up what I really want to talk about. 
But I'm looking at the news and I'm looking at the state of affairs and it's really very confusing. Very, very confusing. And I think that my prediction is going to stay on point. We're not on a collision crash course here. Not yet. Not yet. I think we've been sticking it to the rest of the world and for some reason they keep taking it. I don't know, I guess because our, our military is bigger and mightier, but who knows how long that's going to hold on. Stock market bouncing up. They, they predicted all kinds of doom and gloom. Nobody's buying anything for Christmas. They're, they're record sales. Of course there are, because there's a record amount of money in circulation. The money didn't dry up. They're talking about another round of stimulus. People don't care. Spend, spend, spend. Burn that money, baby. Coupons are making a comeback. I wear Merrill shoes almost exclusively at this point, at least for my daily needs. Merrill boots, Merrill shoes, they just they fit me well. They've been, been life-changing for my feet. Well, the prices are through the roof. Through the, my mother-in-law, my wife says to me, uh, my mom wants to buy us some new shoes. I said, wow, the prices are through the roof. She's got a coupon. I said, oh, I should have known. You can't pay full price right now. You're overpaying. So we're back to that game. But anyway, and then I look at Ukraine. They say they're winning. They're taking back territory. Or Ukrainians, or, you know, Russia can't win. And all of a sudden, well, that situation turned pretty quickly. They got a massive humanitarian crisis going on over there. I'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But I ask myself, what in the heck is going on? What's going on? The media does a great job of. You don't hear much going on about this Kerry Lake race, which is not over. What? Oh, yeah, the Republicans took back the House with a pretty decisive advantage. We didn't hear about that. They want you to think that the Democrats are still kind of holding on. It's really not the case. But the stock market is up. Uh, you know, the interest rate increases don't really seem to be killing things the way people thought. But there is a lot of trouble looming in the background. A lot of trouble. All these lies, all these problems that we're seeing. I'm going to make this very clear to you before I let you go. I came across this document, and it's funny how I saved this stuff. I'm going to make this real clear what the problem is and what needs to happen to fix it. And when you look at what's going on, it is plain as day. You can see the pattern and all the evidence is there. Let me give you the stories first as I see it. And I titled this podcast, Capitalism always wins. And I wanted to name it Darwinism always wins, but I knew that would turn a certain number of people off. It would confuse the issue. It wasn't the, it wasn't what I wanted to attract with my clickbait headline, Capitalism always wins. I wonder who that'll trigger, if anybody. I don't, we don't have a big enough audience to be triggering people, I guess. I'm not on Twitter. I don't trigger anybody. But if it were to trigger people... What do you think would trigger more, Darwinism always wins or capitalism always wins? Look, there's a natural state of competition that occurs between us as humans. I think that in a modern society of intelligent people, you would like to keep that competition uh, fair and healthy as opposed to unfair and destructive or violent. Why, why do things turn violent in this competitive process with humans? Why? Very simple reason. Because it works, because it's effective, right? You say, look, I'm a big dude, 6'5", 450 pounds. No, I'm not 450 pounds. Who believed that I just said that? I don't weigh 450 pounds. I, what do I weigh these days? That's a good question. Let's call it 260. 
I really haven't been on the scale in a while. But here's my point. I'm a big guy. You know, I remember uh, a, a kid in high school one time called me a, a prick. I said, oh, yeah, that's true. I'm a prick. But guess what? He says, what? I said, you're a little prick and I'm a big prick. You know what that means? He says, no. I said, big pricks beat little pricks. Yeah, very true, right? Size matters to some degree. You know, it doesn't mean that the, the big guy always wins, but we don't need to get into all that. My point is that violence, if you if it does if it's successful, it's it's ultimate, right? I tell you to shut up, and you say you don't tell me. Who are you to tell me how to shut up? And we get into it. We can argue for hours. Yeah, one and listen. I'm not advocating for this. Don't get the wrong idea. I'm just illustrating to you that why violence happens because it's effective, especially when you take uh, unintelligent people. Because I said so, shut up, pop, (laughs) and you're done talking, right? Even if you had a lot more to say, yeah, a little pop to the mouth, and you're probably going to shut up. I don't know. It's just been my experience. What was the Mike Tyson line? Everybody has a plan until they're getting punched in the face. It's really true. Everybody's a First Amendment advocate until they get punched in the mouth. I can tell you firsthand. You know why? I got off the bus at Marine Corps Paris Island. I wasn't even talking, and the drill instructor came up, bam, right on the side of the face, man. Say something about that, boy. That's what he said to me. It's really true. Where was I going with all that? Let's get into the stories. There's a natural... uh, um, uh, co- competition that occurs between us. I don't really fully understand it. I'm not a psychologist. There's a natural competition that occurs between uh, different ethnicities and different groups and different nations and different communities and different teams and different genders and different age groups. This is this, this competitive world that we live in. It's how the world operates through competition. The weeds compete with the trees. The trees compete with the vines. The rabbits compete with the hawk. It's just, it's endless. It goes on and on and on. That we live in, in this competitive environment. You can't take that away. And what, so what does that mean? It means that you can, you can play with the rules all you want. You can, you know, tie people's shoes together all you want. In other words, do, you know, purposely destructive things or bad policy or whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, the strongest is going to come out on top, always. One way or the other, it might take longer, it might be harder, but ultimately that's going to be true. Now, I suppose you could get into a situation where you could artificially mess with that, and maybe that is happening, by the way. And you could probably get some really freaky results, but let's just Stay with the thought that even in that scenario where you say that it's being artificially manipulated, ultimately, it's going to be the the strongest, the most superior that end up coming out on top. Sooner or later, it's going to happen, right? So with that in mind, I want to share a couple of things that are going on right now. Because uh, when I say capitalism, Darwinism, I'm talking about this idea of uh, competitiveness in business and and I guess politics, but it's really in business. You know, how, how our companies perform, how well they produce. There's a lot to that when you think about the impact. As a matter of fact, it probably has the most to do with the comfort and well-being of the society of any other factor, really. I guess you could argue, you know, having the resources to do it. But think about this a second. 
If you have a, a society that does not value work and production and creating things and and protecting that and encouraging that, well, then you don't have uh, well-running businesses and industries. And you just, you don't, it, look, every, it, just to paint this picture very plainly, it was the capitalistic, opportunistic America that created pretty much every single modern amenity that we enjoy today, from air conditioning to refrigeration to t- uh, TVs to to phones that started off with the old rotary dial, right? Look at where we are today. All American companies, space travel, some of this has been shifted. Pretty much every modern advancement in, in medicine, travel, all these things came from the most extreme capitalist environment ever known in, in history. And it worked. It produced incredible results. Uh, think about what it's like to live somewhere that does not have companies that are operating so effectively. It's interesting, right? And that's where you get into the, the mental ability, the intelligence and why education becomes so important, that we can maintain that, that competitiveness to continue to produce uh, high, in highly efficient ways for the benefit of the whole society. That's not to say that there aren't consequences, right? Because in today's age of everything's delivered to you 24-7, you barely have to lift a finger. You can put it on a credit card if you want. Pay tomorrow, pay never, it's all the same. Handouts, it doesn't matter, right? Everybody deserves, deserves, deserves. And you could say that there's consequences of that, and there are. And, and then you add to that the fiat money system. And there's some people that are even questioning whether the whole system of capitalism makes sense at all, which is a logical question at this point. But it's not the capitalism that's failing. It will ultimately prevail. Listen to this. Maybe you heard about it. I think they're trying to keep it on the, on the quiet as much as possible. Amazon workers stage global Black Friday stake, uh, 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 strike. This is a monumental story that's being swept under the carpet by the media. Nobody really wants to talk about it because uh, a severe economic crash of Amazon would have ripple effects probably through the whole American economy. I want to point out a couple of quick things. Let me just be clear on what's happening. You've got a worldwide global strike against Amazon. I was thinking about this just from a practical point of view. What if I worked at Amazon? I don't know. I've never have. I don't know. I, I know one person that, that does. We haven't heard from him in a while. Uh, so I don't know really to speak of the working conditions at Amazon. Seems very fast-paced, but is that necessarily bad? What, what kind of pay are they offering? But I never really heard too much in terms of the company. You know, they were supporting Black Lives Matter and all these different woke things. But I don't think that they knew how to really appeal to the people. These people like Jeff Bezos and and people that that run in those circles, I think they've just so lost touch. I've said this before. You're going to come down and say, what are we as a company doing for the benefit of our employees? Well, we want you to know that we're supporting uh, Black Lives Matter and um, we're supporting the energy transition uh, to help climate change. Like, dude, I need gas money to get home tonight. What are you doing for me? 
right? Well, bonus structures would be would be uh, too capitalistic. Uh, wouldn't be good for everybody. I, you know, I don't know what the arguments would be. I know that most of the people that I know that work in these big companies, it's just a miserable existence. Rules upon layers of rules that make no sense. The big thing now is if you're white, you can't get promoted because they need to promote minorities. And you look at, well, we support Black Lives Matter. Well, that's not working for me and, and my family. But the bigger story in this Amazon strike Besides the fact that the media is covering it up, another indication of how incompetent American media has become. There's a, there's a, and here's a sign of the times, by the way. American media, this idea of capitalism in a capitalistic society, it's not just a, a, a one-trick pony. I don't know if that's what I meant to say, but it's a system that involves many things. And a big part of that is is the the First Amendment, the right to speak up, really an obligation. And and the strongest media that purposely exposed what was going on so that people could see and understand what was happening, at least to some degree. And you could say, well, the media has always been this and yellow journalism has always been around. And it's all true. But it's reached epic proportions to the point that you can't trust any of it. And this is just an indication that there's a, a worldwide Amazon strike, company that's supposed to be supporting the disadvantaged, and that they're just going to cover up this story. And they have to. I want to I say this. I predicted the, the demise of Amazon. And I don't know about the demise, but at least the leveling off, kind of like Walmart. Walmart seemed like Walmarts were popping up everywhere for a while and that they were going to just take over all retail. But then it just kind of leveled out because there's only so much room for that business model. Same thing for Amazon. They actually cut back on warehouses. But I said, look, Amazon is an interesting experiment because they basically bought their market share. Years and years of losses. And uh, Jeff Bezos built this network and got people hooked on it. But I said, you know, once gas prices go up, you're going to find that this is going to be, um, you know, a lot less uh, appreciated. And I think it's just ran its course. There's certain things where people say, I- I'd like to go look at it. I'd like to go hold it. I'd like to go interact with people, believe it or not. That doesn't happen a lot. But this is a big deal. In the terms of capitalism always w- wins, what would you call unions? Would you call that a capitalist endeavor? Or would you call unions a socialist endeavor? I'm not an expert on that kind of thing. So I don't really know the history and ties there. I know that the unions seem to have strong liberal and socialist ties. Why that is, I'm not really sure. I view it as an important economic right that people have to join together uh, and strike, especially against companies like Amazon. My biggest criticism of Amazon is that there was a time when we spoke out against giant global corporations as being evil, as evil as corrupt government. Now we've got both, and they're working hand-in-hand, hand, which is why it's become unbearable that these companies just simply get too big, too intertwined. I've noticed that the loosening of this antitrust uh, uh, rules that we were normally operating. Well, you can see it in the way the computers are running. You know, the things that they're doing now, there was a time when they were, they were sued for these things. So uh, it's a problem. 
They start taking advantage. When it's the only job in town, or it's taking up so much of the labor force. But this is why I say capitalism always wins. The workers, in this case, are going to stand up and say, listen, it no longer makes sense. You have an unfair advantage in that you're such a large labor pool. We're going to band together as well. Of course, you can see that power shifting you know, back and forth in different directions. Either way, whatever your thoughts about all that, I just want to say I think it's an important right that workers have to unionize and, when necessary, strike. I, you know, I do, I do think there need to be rules about it, uh, and, and I've spoken about that, such as the, the government worker unions cannot engage in, in political activities. I mean, this is it's, first of all, it's a campaign finance violation, in-kind donations it's called. But when you have public workers that are getting a paid day off contractually on Election Day, and they're then using that time to go and, and campaign – and at the union's direction, you can't stop individuals from doing what they want. But where the, indivi- the union is organizing and, and partaking in these things and being used as a communication tool, it's wrong. They're getting an unfair advantage, and that's wrong. The election should be held on the most equal playing field possible. And it used to be the media that would expose these things, not some uh, basement podcaster. Right, Digging around in the news and, and offering real information because the media doesn't offer. We used to have a great media, an incredible icon of the world, and this is a sign. It's not just the media. It's one piece of it. It's fallen. There's no media. It's all propaganda. Not even I, I didn't see a single news report. I watched a little bit of TV news. I had a little bit of Fox playing in the background, to be fair. Usually I bounce around. I just... I wasn't really watching. I watched like 10 minutes. I was like, oh, there's no way I'm spending my weekend doing this. <laughs> I can't take it. But I didn't really see it being a big story. It's a huge story. I say capitalism always wins. The workers are going to rise up. They're going to say, no, we're not going to do this this way. Amazon, maybe it needs to be broken up. How much damage has been done to small business? What does that mean? We use these abstract terms, small business. That means... Middle-class people that would have owned small retail businesses no longer do. That opportunity, that middle of the chain. And that's what they said. We're going to take out the middleman. Yes, you did. You also took out opportunities for the middle class in the process. If you're not able to follow along with all that, let me just ask you this. What do you think will happen if Amazon can no longer deliver, say, because they're shut down due to a strike? Let's say that goes on three days. Nah, no big deal. They'll be caught up in a week or two. Be back and back. Everything will be delivered in time for Christmas. Right? A three-day Amazon strike. That's what you would hear. Strike settled. The packages are flowing. Deal made with UPS and FedEx to take the overflow. Santa's gifts will arrive. Amazon will deliver. It'll be the triumphant story of nonsense. What if it goes on a week? It's gonna it's gonna put a squeeze on things. What if it goes on two weeks? Now at this point you have people, businesses that rely on Amazon, people relying on Amazon for all different kinds of things. Two weeks in, you just go in. Uh, we're running out of dog food. Eh, no big deal. I go to Walmart. What if it's a month in? All of a sudden, the world has become a different place. People have gone back to their old patterns of of shopping and probably stocking up. Huge hit, huge hit to Amazon's business. If, if they were to be shut down for a period of time like that. 
it would really, really hurt. Boom. Maybe the natural markets will, will always uh, level themselves out. I believe so. The other big story that did get some airtime I saw was this potential rail strike. And it's fascinating to me. Basically, the uh, rail workers union is threatening to go on strike. And uh, listen, I've been talking about this. And I know most people listening to this really don't want to hear this, but I'd suggest that you listen up a little bit. I come from a background of public service, part of it being public union service, right? So I understand both sides of the equation. And I have my friends that are just negative, negative, negative about all government workers. And it's really very destructive um, and very twisted way of thinking. You don't think that there aren't cops? Of course there's bad cops. Of course there's lazy cops. You know, the cops around here make uh, 100, about 110000 a year with a reasonable overtime. Incredible pay. It's also shift work, which isn't the best. Meaning, you know, a lot of those guys were working on Christmas. You know, all the squads have to come in. They try to break it up, which means that, you know, half, half the team is working Christmas, half is working Christmas Eve, half is working New Year's, half is working New Year's Eve. It's not exactly the, the most relaxed, uh, uh, you know, holiday experience like I had, okay? If you're a cop, you, it's the same. You say, well, that's, that's what it's like to be a cop. I mean, there are people that when you really talk to them privately, this is how, how uh, uh, cynical they are about government workers. And you say, well, these guys need a raise. Wait, what do you mean? They spend half their time doing nothing anyway. They've got benefits and look at the health care and blah, 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 blah. Some of it's really, really true. So many of these uh, contracts and agencies have gotten so overly bloated. Some of them need to be eliminated altogether, and some of it maybe needs to be privatized. But, but, there is a large segment of public worker union, uh, of public worker labor, and labor in general is evidenced by Amazon that is not being treated fairly. And, even in Republican states like Florida, they voted for a $15 minimum wage when it actually meant something to be at $15. So this needs to tell you what people are thinking, that the wages need to go up, that they're tired of seeing all these profits at the corporate level. Some of it's very, and, and people not getting paid fairly. You know, uh, you try living today on $15 an hour, $30,000 a year. You're going to have a hard road to go. Capitalism always wins. The labor is going to rise up. The people want to get paid. You know, all this talk about going back to the office, the rail workers never had that option. They never stopped working. They never had the option of working from home. It never happened. They watched everybody else pull this nonsense and all this garbage going on in the news, and they've had 2% raises over the past five years. Inflation's been through the roof. And then you've got, you know, the, the conservative public. Oh, they don't do anything anyway. Well, you're going to see how much they don't do when they stop doing it altogether. This is like with the cops. Uh, this is where I say, too, there's a huge opportunity. Doug Mastriano missed it here in Pennsylvania. A smart conservative right now running for office would work hard to get the support of the public worker unions. Even the teachers, the teachers union is so out of control that the teachers, the rank and file, they are not happy with what's going on. I don't want to get too distracted. 
But you're looking at an Amazon strike. You've got unrest there. The iPhone factory in China, have you heard that story? They beat those people, forcing them to work. iPhone factory, this is a big deal. Why all this unrest? Rail strike here. Now, there's a good chance this is likely going to get um, uh, settled. I think it's fascinating that Biden comes out for offers them like 28% to settle it on some, you know, handshake deal, which was meaningless. And sure enough, it was meaningless. They didn't even accept it. They just agreed to act like they were accepting it until after the election. So the union, and here's where the union, I think, gets fed up with the rank and file. The union gave a big upper hand in that. They should have struck right before the election. They should have went back to Biden and said it's 40% or we strike tomorrow before Congress can even make a law on it. And we're, we're about ready to stand up against that, too. You're going to put us in jail like you did the January 6th? This is what the union should have done. Instead, the union made a, a political deal behind the scenes for what? Probably because the union leadership got some kind of side deal out of it. It didn't help the rank and file. Now, you may not agree. You may be saying, thank goodness, because you don't want them getting 28 or 40%. But when you look at the wages, I'm going to tell you something. that It's not far off the mark in some of those circles how much those wages need to go up. And all these politicians running around raising millions of dollars, this is part of the consequence, too. You look at all these millions of dollars coming into the campaign, you say, wait a minute. I've been here busting my butt through the campaign all this time, moving all this product to make sure that everybody stays fat and happy, and I can barely pay my bills? I want to get paid. That's what people are saying. Speaking of which, capitalism wins even in the elections. Here's evidence you're going to see right now. You're going to find out here in a short period of time how elections are won in this country. Warnock has a lot more cash than uh, Herschel Walker. And you just watch. Warnock will win because cash is king in elections. I'll leave it at that. Um, here's more failed media. Look at how the uh, the uh, gay nightclub shooting story dried up. Isn't that interesting? I don't want to make light of it because people getting shot, you know, we're arguing over the wrong thing here. These poor people like, whoa, I got shot and killed here. And you're arguing about whether the shooter was gay or not, like that's somehow material to this. Well, it really is. Not because of gun-loving Second Amendment supporting people, but because of the people against it want to use it to make an argument. And when they found out that the shooter was gay and it was really like a crime of passion, doesn't fit the narrative, poof, story dries up. This is what the, the media really is, nothing but a propaganda machine. As long as they could use that shooting as some kind of a story to start talking about gun rights, and what great timing. Yeah, we're going to get people to stop talking about the economy, strikes and stuff. Oh, look, shooting, shooting, mass shooting, more than 600 this year. They're screaming all of this again. I got actually something I want to get to here if you're still listening. Big. Maybe I'll pick it up tomorrow. Nah, do I want to do that to you? The way people listen, you could listen in two pieces. Nah, we're going to finish this in one sitting today. Let's keep going. My little bonus to you for my my time off. Uh, wave, wave of huge airstrikes reported in Ukraine. Uh, I'm mentioning this for a couple of different reasons. The, the lights are out. There's going to be a huge humanitarian crisis looming over there. People's lives being completely upended. 
Well, you know, 20 minutes ago they were saying that Ukraine was winning, uh, Russia was in utter defeat, utter disaster. Hmm. Boy, did that change. How prepared are you if you live in a similar area? Are you prepared to get out? And and what do you do? When do you make that decision? It's very interesting, this this situation situation in Kiev and, and other places in Ukraine where they've simply just turned, you know, bombing it really, it doesn't appear. They just turned off the lights, turned off the power. Do you, do you shelter in place in a situation like that? Or do you get out? That's going to be a good question for my uh, buddy Butch Erskine we're going to have on shortly. I was supposed to have him on last week. whole story in itself. But I'm going to get him on. We'll talk about that. What do you do in a situation like that? But look at what's happening. What do you think is going to come out on the other side of this? That we're going to wake up in spring to many, many bodies, I fear. I believe that we may be witnessing one of, if not the largest, humanitarian catastrophe in our lifetimes. Time will tell. Time will tell. Uh, Military failure, really, when you think about it. You've got the media failing. The mighty American military is not quite having the influence that it once did, you could say, at the very least. Our elections, we know, are a mess. People don't trust the elections. Hillary Clinton screamed about it for four years. Obama spoke about it. But now suddenly that Democrats have won, that you have Democrats that want to say, no, no, the elections are secure. Yeah, right up until the next Republican wins. Carrie Lake is launching a huge fight out there in Arizona. Yet another thing being largely ignored by the media. Largely ignored. That's a huge mistake, in my opinion, on many fronts. What does all this mean? I'm going to give you this summary very quickly here. Problem number one that we have is government spending and our fiat money system. Uh, I do believe this topic in and of itself deserves a lot of attention and a lot of conversation. Number one, how do we stop the bleeding? We can't continue taking on debts year over year over year. It's simply unsustainable. You've heard me talk about it many times, and and, uh, I believe it's why we have the illegal immigration running rampant. They have to. They have to be bringing in people. These debts are getting passed on to the next generation, whether they want them or not. If that generation doesn't have a large enough labor pool, it becomes a real burden. And the birth rates of naturalized citizens declined heavily. And our fiat money system, with out-of-control government spending, doesn't allow for a slowdown in new births. Why do you think after World War II and and the baby boom that came with it, it made America very powerful? You had this young, uh, well-educated, well-disciplined labor force, and it was very powerful. But today, the the debts have become unbearable, and they're going to become more unbearable as the interest rates go up. The debt's going to go up faster. You're going to watch it get very goofy. Because as the interest rates go up, employment sooner or later is going to ease, which means that the tax revenue. Right now, the government, they printed all this money. They threw it out there, and it's been good. It's been really good. About as good as peeing your pants in the winter to get warm. Because it's about to get ugly real quick. When? I don't know. And I've said this before. I don't know that we're going to just drop off of a, a cliff 
It's not my prediction. I don't know. and I'm, I'm not the right person to really make a prediction like this, but I see more of a year-over-year year decline, 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 something like we saw in the 70s, maybe deeper, maybe longer, maybe worse. Who knows? All subject to change. But we've got a problem. We've got a government spending problem, a fiat money problem. I think at the very least that the money value needs to be tied to something to limit how much government can borrow. Right now, it's just unlimited. And the income tax, it needs to be limited. If you read the income tax amendment, the federal government legally can take all of your income. That's not a free market. That's not a free system at all. Problem number two, which is a result of problem number one, is that we've got a massive, massive federal government that naturally has become corrupt. And all these people, they're saying, oh, we need to go back to the states, that somehow that's going to be the magical answer. Don't think for a second that all these states are so well run and that somehow that the state-level government is free of bureaucracy and problems. If you don't believe me, go out to Illinois. Go out to Illinois and see what's going on at the state level. Go down to New Jersey. And see what's going on at the state level there. I don't know what other states are mismanaged. Uh, California, I guess, to many degrees. Um, but it at least allows for natural competition between the states, at least to some degree. And either way, the, a massive federal government's just become unbearable. We've ended up with this, this tyrannical, meaning our voice doesn't count, right? Everybody's saying this, multi-head monarchy made up of, of the Supreme Court Congress and the executive branch, they're just running amok. It needs to be reined in without a doubt. Um, and, and naturally, you do that by reining in the amount of money that it has. It's, it's just we've fed it. This, uh, this creature from Jekyll Island, there's a great kid's book about that. And it, we've lived it now 50 years later. Number three, we, we need to restore the Constitution. And a hard line... In a basic, literal interpretation, not completely literal, but mostly heavily, heavily literal interpretation. What does free speech mean? Damn it, it means you can say what you want. And what does this shall not be infringed mean? I'm going to say about the same. You know, people, oh, it's a little more complicated than that. No, it's not. It doesn't need to be. It was meant to be simple. Simple is easy to understand that the common person can understand what their rights are. That's the way it should be. Problem number four I spoke about, these perverted media propaganda machine. We're not getting news. We're getting corporate, politicized corporate propaganda. The biggest one would be COVID. Who benefited? Pharmaceuticals and, and, and uh, 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 Pfizer. Billions and billions and billions of dollars, purely sickening. But here's the big point that I wanted to get to. Accountability in the public interest. And I do believe that you could make a strong case for this. It might be the campaign to run on. Uh, You've heard me talk about the fear. I'm going to leave you with this thought. The concern about national security laws. And you hear Biden and others talk about this now, right? This uh, threat to our democracy, and we need to protect the politicians. We need to start protecting the country. And we need to flip this on its script, because right now the existential threat is not the people that were protesting on January 6th. The existential threat is not that this made-up climate propaganda. 
The existential threat is not the, the protesters on January 6th. It's not the, the COVID. It's none of those. It's not overpopulation. You know what the existential threat right now to our country and world peace is? It's these lying, corrupt politicians and the media propaganda machine that, 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 that promotes it. And they want to talk about national security laws. You've heard me talk about solicitor reform. You've got lawyers that are writing election laws that they know or should know to be unconstitutional, that the public pays that attorney to write those laws, that firm, across the country. You want to do a study. Billions of dollars probably paid out to lawyers. They write these unconstitutional laws because it's what the politicians who, who, who bring them in, it's all politicized. They're appointed, not elected, these lawyers. And there's no accountability. They write, I see it all the time. I've spoken about it for years. Then you've got to go, you're, you, what you could, since the elected officials are the one that hired them to create this mayhem, your appeal to them is going nowhere. So then you've got to go fight in court, which costs huge sums of money. And if you win, which there's many cases of that, the town or the, the government jurisdiction could be ordered to pay your legal fees, which is good for you, but not the taxpayer. So now the taxpayer just paid this corrupt lawyer to write it. Then they got to pay your lawyer to undo it. Then they're going to pay the corrupt lawyer a second time to deal with the whole mess that they created. Paying three times for something that was unconstitutional in the first place. You know what I say to all that? Public hangings. If you violated the public trust, you'll be hung in the public square. If you pervert American elections, if you pervert American media, if you pervert the education system, you could face the death penalty. That's what we need to bring back in this country. Balance of power, basic fiscal responsibility, and bring back proper representation to the people. Hoo-yah, I say. Hoorah, that's what we say in the Marine Corps. Happy Thanksgiving. God willing, I'll be back tomorrow. Hope to see you there. Make it a great day.